0: Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, joined alongside, as I am every week, by media executive Grail Hallett and Serie A specialista and OTP producer Sam Griswold. Today on the show, Grant Wall, formerly of Fox and Sports Illustrated fame, he is uh, now the... Uh, I don't know, the leader, the uh, the one-man band with football with Grant Wall. So uh, it's a great podcast if you haven't listened to it. And Grant is always great, gets us up to date on so many things that are happening in the football world. So uh, guys, I am back from the road, believe it or not, uh, one year plus, March, April, May, about a year, year and two months since I had been on stage, got to go on a five-week uh, road trip to Florida. Oh my God. I am, uh, and I was like, I was, I was packing it. up. I survived. What is up in Florida? What a shit show. Oh, the my
1: scientists.
0: God. I said to myself, I was packing my bags. I'm like, I'm waxed. I'm waxed. I'm heading out on the road. <laughs> Here we go. And um, I, we flew to Key West first, where Key West out Florida's Florida. It, uh, it, it was unbelievable. Just every night is Saturday night. We had two sold out shows there. Um, at the Key West Comedy Club, and I, I'm telling you, man, people were just dying to get out and go to things, and nobody had a mask on inside. Um, like I said, I'm back so I've, I've got to kind of not worry about it too much anymore. I've done what I can, but I'm leaving the show, and I'm walking down the street of Key West with the other comedian, Jackie Flynn, and uh, this woman's walking towards us. Eleven o'clock at night, in a bikini and flip flops, and I'm like, oh my god, look at this woman! She's wearing a bikini. She walks by us. She's naked. With a painted-on bikini, um, so I thought that was very interesting, and I didn't know what your girlfriend was doing in Key West, Grail, but there she was. Uh, so, so there we go. You know, it's a bummer because we go to um, we went to Sarasota, which was just a layover. We had two nights in St. Petersburg and in Sarasota. I said to the other comedian, Jack, uh, you know, do you know anybody in Sarasota? And he calls his friend and he says, you know, are there any rooms in Sarasota who might want to put up? A comedy show, and he goes, "Yeah, yeah, my buddy owns this this lounge. It'd be great." So we go, "Hey, let's book it, man. It'll just be some extra money. It'd be great." Oh my god, we go to this place called the Eight Ball Lounge in Sarasota. Everybody's chain smoking. It's a big horseshoe bar. You got guys that haven't been outside since eighteen twelve <laughs> uh, smoking. So my Jackie Flynn goes up on stage, and some woman starts going, "Ah, oh, what is he talking about?" It's the waitress the waitress starts heckling <laughs> the comedian and she goes i'm the show in this bar you know and uh was she, she from boston no <laughs> yeah she was for years earlier and uh, she's God. down there now uh no teeth and um she goes i'm just trying to make a living i go sweetheart uh and she was old enough that i can call her sweetheart without her getting pissed um i go sweetheart we're uh, we're just we're all trying to make a living you know she goes well i'm the show here and then the owner came over and goes uh Uh, what was her name Sharon shut up move along let's go oh damn it but uh we did two shows in St. Petersburg which was great they were both filled out but the funny thing is my buddy his daughter is dating uh, the indie racer Colton Herder and we went to the race in St. Petersburg on Sunday and the kid won it he's 21 years old he won the St. Petersburg race um so I'm, I'm sitting next to Mario Andretti, the, the, the great Mario Andretti sitting there. And I was just sitting at this table when he sat down and somebody started to interview him. And they said, uh, who's the next Mario Andretti? And he said, that kid you just see, saw won, win the race, Colton Herter. So they're trying to get him ready for Formula One uh, over in Europe where they can make some real money. Cause he's only making a couple million a year now.
1: So. It's just perfect that you took in some auto racing when you were in Florida.
0: <laughs> well, it and like, the, thing was the, oh the hard part is everything was great about the trip, except I got to be honest, the eight ball lounge was a was a bucket of blood. It was tough. <laughs> so much smoke. And the problem was my teammates from the Kalamazoo kangaroo days and the N- NPSL days were there. Some of my teammates who I hadn't seen in 30 years, they've never seen me perform on stage and they see me in this shithole. <laughs> Place it yeah. was terrible, and the poor wives are looking around like, "Oh my god, this is what Kevin does every night." Oh my. God. So
1: during your entire stay in Florida, those two or three days, whatever it was, how many masks did you see being worn? You
0: saw them occasionally, but uh, pretty much everybody was, uh, you know. I'd say, "Hey, no masks!" And that, the whole bar cheered. You know, everybody <laughs> cheers. Florida was taking it like they they didn't really. uh they, they take pride in not listening to any rules. In fact, someone told me they said. Uh, Hey, if you just moved to Florida, remember you're in Florida now, so vote like it. Don't vote like where you came from. So I don't, I don't know where that <laughs> oh God, is. Don't tread on me. Right. So, uh, all right. So, guys, so we got a great show coming up. A lot going on in the world of soccer. Uh, what are you over today and over the ball? Who wants to go first?
2: I'll jump in. Uh, I'm over FIFA, UEFA, the big European leagues acting as if they've just saved the game of soccer by averting this Super League crisis when they've. You know, basically looked the other way and not helped out the local fan, turned their backs on them as much as possible at every single turn um, until now. And now all of a sudden they've, you know, preserved some sanctity or something. Uh, Yeah, I don't need to hear it.
0: Well, you know, we, we just interviewed Grant Wall, and he mentions the same thing. And it's, uh, it's true, isn't it? They, they've been looking out for themselves, all yeah. of them. And uh, there was a little uh, no honor among thieves, as it were. Grail, yeah. what do you got? Yeah, on
1: a related topic, Sam, I'm over these uh, the, the dirty dozen, as they call them, continuing to make statements which do not <laughs> help the cause. And I heard Josh Kroenke, who's Cronkey's, uh, you know, the son Of uh, Stan Kroenke. Oh, the
0: Sun always says smart stuff, don't they?
1: It's always the Sun, right? Uh, Richie Rich. Uh, He came out and made a statement saying that everybody, all the fans really want those on a weekly basis, want the matchup of, you know, Barca against Juve and Liverpool against... Real Madrid whatever and it, it it he totally missed the point that that we all know which is no that's not what fans want fans actually want that to be a special occasion right. when teams yeah. like that meet up and it's why you know Sam you're a hockey fan I'm a hockey fan the only reason I don't like this current season is you know the Devils and the Rangers play each other eight times because of the way things are set up and it takes away from it the red sox and the yankees now play each other about 16 times a year to me all of that has taken away from the specialness
0: uh-huh. of teams playing each other selectively this is nfl influence they want it to be a like nfl and as soon as they have a super league they'll start moving teams to the highest bidder with the best tax write-offs and everything else like that it's uh, and they don't give a shit about the fans it's it's uh, it's pretty absurd um, before we get, go- uh, get talking about Jesse Marsh, because I want to talk about that a little bit, we'll talk about it more with Grant Wall. He uh, has some really great insight. He went to Princeton with uh, with Jesse and uh, covered that team way back in the day when Bob Bradley was coaching them. But uh, Sam, uh, our former uh, alma mater there, UMass is in the NCAAs. They take on Penn State this Sunday on ESPN+. Plus, so mm-hmm. I'll be watching that. Uh, and Clemson, our friend Mike Noonan, uh, former teammates of both of ours, uh, Grail, he uh, again ranked number one in the country. They won the ACC. Yeah. And, uh, you know, how how Noonan is not getting picked and plucked to go somewhere? Um, I, I do not know. He was. Well, no, he knows he wants to stay at Clemson. He's got I, I a mean,
1: great gig at Clemson. He's very well respected. He's built a, a great program. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. Do is that, needs, is right? the grass greener in MLS? I don't know. I mean, it's a bigger job stature wise, but his time will come.
2: I've also, Kevin, seen differing definitions of alma mater. Uh, one says the college or university that you went to. Another one says a college or university. that you went to. So <laughs> I'm not sure that I qualify as a, a UMass. You flunked out of Lama UMass and you had to go to a
0: Wesleyan. But, you flunked
2: out and got
1: into a much better
0: yeah. school. It's good school so. <laughs> hey, I couldn't get into UMass now. Many would argue I couldn't really get into it then. So, uh, um, but well, good stuff. So, so this Jesse Marsh thing. Um Sam, you know, we were mentioning it off air. This is really big news and it should be bigger news, I think. But um, yeah, you know, I mean, coach the, this, in the, this in the Bundesliga.
2: Yeah. I mean, this just happened, you know, a couple of days ago now. And maybe, you know, they just need time to get some articles out there and some reaction. But I mean, for taking over at Leipzig, which is we're in the Champions League semifinals a year ago, pretty much supplanted Dortmund as the number two team in Germany for the foreseeable mm-hmm. future. Um, I just I can't believe that it's not getting a little more, you know, play. I've seen one article in Sports Illustrated by Brian, Brian Strauss really talking about how epic it is. Everything else just kind of is treating it like a formality, which I
0: yeah,
2: maybe it is because he's been in the Red Bull system, but it seems kind of crazy to me. I mean, because I, you know, the attitude is still very much out there that, okay, yeah, there's a few good American players, but they're just good athletes. Like they don't know the game at all. I mean, this is a head coach of, you know, a major European team. I think it's a really big deal.
1: Yeah. I mean, maybe also the flip side of it, Sam, is that it's not been made as big a deal over there. It's shows acceptance. You know I mean? Obviously when it's not as big a deal, it means that it's, it's more
0: right to a lot of people. So no, it seems pretty interesting. I mean, what uh, you sent that note about the other coaches that have uh, been overseas. Yeah,
2: this was interesting to me too. I'd never even heard of this guy named Pellegrino Matarazzo, who is an Italian American from New Jersey, who played four years at Columbia University, uh, who's currently the manager at Stuttgart. He got them promoted last year and they are currently, um, I think, in 10th place and safe for next season. Uh, so he's clearly done a pretty good job. I think he left right after college and played sort of in the lower leagues in Germany for a long time. So he's sort of formed as a coach over there, not like Jesse and Bob Bradley, who were formed here. But they're really the only three, you know, American, true American coaches who've coached in the top four leagues. Um, I also oh. thought it was interesting. They're all Ivy League educated. So maybe oh. that's what it takes to, uh, you know, be be considered a well. Would, I think mind. I've heard a lot
0: of people say once you go to, a, you know, if you say you went to an Ivy League school, no one has a second question uh, to you. They, they just, you know, you get assumed to uh, know more than you perhaps do, because I know mm-hmm. a couple of morons who went to Ivy League schools. So, <laughs> um, yeah, Grail, you know them, too. Uh, oh, yeah. So uh, I thought it was interesting watching Pulisic play. He's uh, had to earn his way back through Lampard, and now he's had to earn his way back through with Tuchel and um, really being impactful in the Champions League. Yeah, I
1: I thought in the first half he was really, really sharp, bright, difficult. Real Madrid was not prepared for him. They had him playing off on the right side more. And he's just, his pace was great. His first touch was great. He just had it all together in the first half. He set up Werner for an absolute sitter from like five yards out and Werner hit it. I mean, Courtois made a big save with his foot, but he had the whole goal. So he could have easily had an assist, but the goal, I just want to focus on his goal because the composure that he exhibited in the box um, turned around, saw that he had room to move. The defenders weren't approaching him, approaching him. He went around Courtois and then just, just coolly buried it. I mean, just impressive. He has composure in the
0: box, which you cannot teach. Yeah.
1: You know, it was just, to me, it was like a, it was like a standout moment for him. It kind of like put him on the map even further um and uh now i think he broke now he's got five champions league goals which i think puts him past i think beasley was the guy that he went past um mm. he had the record previously so he's you know so he's starting to just make strides big strides on the global stage and again like we've always talked about and we talked to grant about you know just please stay healthy mm. just put All together right. like a full season of doing this it was interesting to
0: see the studio team actually compare him to uh, Hazard. You know, which yeah. is they're they're just such different players and built so differently. Yeah,
1: I just don't like. I mean, I, I get it because it's it it's like one of those things you say that's kind of controversial on a broadcast. But I mean, he isn't anywhere near. Azard, Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just absurd to even put that pressure on him.
0: I don't know. He seems more dangerous certain at certain and times. It,
1: but he, but again, it's just you know, Eden Hazard was the best player in the Premier League for like three or four years. I mean, so yeah. that's where he was. And um, again, let's just let Pulisic grow the way he's growing. I think he's in a good place right now, and Tuchel
2: supports him, so it's great.
1: And so I, I think I'm my gonna, concern. Oh.
0: Go ahead, Sam. Sorry. Sorry.
1: No,
2: I'm going to say I think Pulisic played fantastic, and starting him on the right was a really good move because of the way Marcelo really likes to get forward and not defend very much for Real Madrid. Um, I'm going to take a slightly different angle on the goal and say that it was pretty shocking defending to me. I mean, it was a a ball over the top, and when yeah. by the time Pulisic actually scored – there was not only Courtois but five Real Madrid players between him and the goal um and i was talking to my spanish buddy yesterday and the, the you know the kind of reaction in spain was that it was a horror show uh but he took it very well and they gave it to him and he did but i i'm taking yeah. nothing away from how he played but i, I just think it's worth Sam i you. i
1: totally agree with you but i will give him the presence of mind he looked surprised himself when he corralled the ball and turned around mm-hmm. and he just sort courtois close to him mm-hmm. and then you're right the defenders instead of going towards him went to the line to defend mm-hmm. the goal line mm-hmm. but again he could have he still had to neg- navigate courtois right mm-hmm. and put it away so oh yeah no I but, I,
2: but i agree with
0: you the defending
1: yeah. was mystifying
2: yeah
0: but i thought he played fantastic overall
1: yeah. i
2: mean
0: yeah. and uh I, I gotta make another complaint about the cbs sports studio analysts that they had not they got kate abdow as the host Got uh, Roberto Martinez, Jamie Carragher, Mika Richards, who I like a lot. He's got some personality. And then Michael. It, it's it's absurd to me. I, I just don't know how they, they continue to get away with it. I'm going to talk to Grant about it because you guys are sick of uh, – Well, well it Robert- goes back to my
2: point, which is that, like there's no point in it. We could just watch whatever's on Sky Sports and the UK. Sky Sports, we're exactly. Getting, we're getting the same thing.
1: Well, Roberto Martinez to me is – give me Roberto Martinez – every day plus Sunday because I'm, I'm delighted with his analysis. I, I just don't think we need four people in that studio.
0: And no, no American representation. When you're showing the game to Americans who are playing in the champions league, who are coaching in the champions league, it's just, it's just absurd. It just shows you a, a lack of imagination by the executives because it's sort of like, just like we talked to Grant Wall about in the upcoming interview about you know, people have a view of an American owner. They have a view of an American player, these preconceived notions. Yet here we come back to our own country. Here we are. We're showing the games. We're growing the game. And they don't even get a shot. And that's why, you know, uh, we sang the praises of Fox a couple of weeks ago with Rob Stone and, and Lexi Lalas, uh, Stu Holden, and um, John Strong, who we had on last week, was a great guest. I mean, mm-hmm. there are guys who can do the job. So it's just annoying. It's and what I was going to say about the executives was like, Jesus, how unimaginative are you guys to just say, we know nothing about the game. So we're going to hire all these people from, you know, different accents, different countries. Like how, how unimaginative is, I think it's the Gus Johnson effect on everything. They put a guy who.
1: I think having American representation would be great, but I, uh, I'm i not willing to suddenly just kick Roberto Martinez and good people out of the booth because we want the thing to be America or out of the studio. That's not the uh, point. We I, got five guys, gra- Grail. Have five guys. Have a voice. We, we American, love Martinez. We American, love Martinez. Have an American I'm saying- voice in there.
0: That's fine. Right, right, yeah, and no, no beef with Martinez. Uh, yeah, in fact, I'd love to see him. You know, one day coach the U.S. national team. But I'm, yeah. I'm just saying, like five of them. You know, and then right. an English accent, another English accent, a French accent, a, a Danish. accent. It's like, oh my God, can pick up the phone? Will you please, CBS? So, all right, that's enough of that. PSG, Man City. PSG outplayed in the first half. Man City, of course, man, they wear you down. Everybody can play with Man City in the first half. It's that second half. It's it's like they always –
1: Pep always says it's 90, 95 minutes, and they just – the possession game is just exhausting if you're having to defend against that. Neymar was great in the first half. They just – they ran out of gas the second half. They just – they couldn't keep up with that possession. And the other thing that we've talked about with City is – that makes them so difficult is they play so tightly all over the pitch that when they lose the ball, they get it back right away. So it's like you're right. starting over again, defending. And I, the one thing I think is very interesting is I think Sterling's on the way out. I really Sterling has not been, yeah, has like not he been up. playing in the big matches because he's not, he's not a guy that can possess the ball. He's just, right. that's not his style. He doesn't have great, Touch. He's a great finisher from in close, and he's very fast. But like in a match like that, he you can't have him out there because he can't. He doesn't have the technical ability to play the way they were playing. So, right.
0: um,
1: I I would I wouldn't be surprised if they moved him in the off season, and they will get a lot of money for him.
0: Yeah, it seems like it's uh, kind of in the tarot cards there. So um... yeah. All right. So um and then they win the Carabao Cup as well. So they're Yeah, they're fourth the in
1: a, fourth in a row, eight total. I mean they pretty much they should put Man City's name on the cup. Zach Stefan, props we always like mentioning the Americans. He's been eleven and one in the matches he's started this year, mostly Carabao Cup and and uh Mom,
0: I, I'd be, I'd be 10 and two with Man City in, in no, front I know, of me but yeah, you know, for, I, I mean
1: I think it's good for Steph for for Zach's confidence, right? I mean I think it's yeah. good that he's you know he's, he's winning, and that's always a good thing. Um, but uh, yeah they just have they have the lock on that. so the treble is still alive they, they've got the league is pretty much done for them um, they've they've got the league cup the Carabao Cup already done and dusted and now Champions
0: League. Hey, Sam, Roma, man, had a tough time with Man U. Would that surprise you?
2: Um, not really. Roma have had a pretty bad season so far. I think they're in seventh place, and they're not really even within touching distance of the Champions League. Yeah. Uh, I was a little disappointed by how they approached the game in the second half up by a goal. I mean, they, they left themselves pretty open at the back. Um I don't know. Six I thought they could have yeah, I mean,
0: the thought they could short
2: it up a little bit, but I mean, I, to be honest, there's no real comparison between their team and Man United. There's. You
0: Did know. you think uh you guys think the Cavani uh Smalling, uh, PK was was the PK?
2: Um well, we should describe this for anyone who yeah. didn't see. It was like a, a cross that came in. Smalling slid sort of anticipating that Cavani was going to get a shot away to block the shot. Cavani let it go past him. And you know, then on the follow through Smalling took him out. So it didn't affect Kamani's goal scoring chance at all and the play had yeah. already died. Um, to me it's one of those that's tough because yeah, it's a foul, there was contact for sure, but it it had nothing to do with a scoring opportunity. Um, I, I, and- th- I think
0: classically that would not have been a penalty kick. I think, you know, the the referee would have used his discretion and, and it would have been like, well, the ball wasn't anywhere you know, Yeah, was I don't know, I just, the ball. I but know I always he got fouled say in the was- box.
2: Yeah, I know. I always say this, but I just think there has to be some kind of secondary punishment for a foul like that. Um, when you consider it's the same thing as tackling a guy when he's about to take
0: a shot instead of a P- so. instead of a penalty kick. Yeah. Yeah, there
1: was, by the way, there was a straight red card in that Man City PSG match, which I thought was the accurate call. I don't know if you guys saw that foul, but it was mm-hmm. high up on the ankle, and the the red the, the ref went straight to the red card, and I was like, "Yeah, you got that right."
0: good all right so uh you know we talked about the super league a little bit this uh, the Cronky family uh they're in the news i mean we're talking about americans it, you know the players like i said had to go through hard things now we have broadcasters you know not getting a shot here uh domestically but these owners with their arrogance in the super league um you know Cronkie i said he's a billionaire and then his wife is a walmart heir so um people were talking about buying arsenal um you know from him it ain't happening not happening
1: yeah, I don't. Um, D- Daniel Eck, you know, Mr. Spotify, brings together Henri, Burkhamp and Vieira to do this kind of glam bid. I just uh, – KSE, which is Kroenke's company, has expressed no desire in selling the team. So, I mean, if you right. don't have somebody on the other end who is willing to sell, I don't care if you have – 80 billion dollars it doesn't matter
2: but talk a little bit grail about the fan reaction in that poll that you had because there were some interesting numbers in there that i i wouldn't have anticipated necessarily
1: yeah so uh the athletic uh did a really interesting post-mortem poll on the super league and it was uh 93 percent were 18 to 54 and it was predominantly people in north america and europe so anyway i mean just a, a, a couple of the top line ones um 73% of the respondents said it was doomed from the start, so they didn't ever give it a chance. 64% uh, want club owners removed. Uh, And again, (laughs) we can debate any of these. The reality of some of this stuff is not going to... Just just leave your bank account. (laughs) Just (laughs) leave your bank account for us. Uh, 69% feel the clubs who participated should be punished. I don't think any of us disagree with that. It's going to be the matter of what that is. You know, so along those lines, 63% want financial penalties, 45% want point deductions, um, oh, then, just kind of penalty. Look, then just a couple more looking forward, 84% think uh, that a global Super League, which would have been a bigger version of that Super League, is not any more appealing. And then 66% say they kind of like the German 50 plus one model which mm-hmm. I thought was interesting cuz Sam talks a lot about that model which is more of a uh, kind of a fan ownership model so mm-hmm. What is you that call- Sam? What's the
2: yeah, definition? It's like a, it? it's a member ownership and yeah. the idea is that, you know, 51% of the club has to be owned by its members. So wow. you can come in with all your money but you can only own 49% of it. And there are, you know, tricky ways that teams sort of circumvent that, but for the most part it seems like they have a more solid, you know, kind of backing and yeah, ownership structure.
1: I mean, I think, that, and then just finally, in terms of the ultimate backlash, seventy-six percent of supporters of the Big Twelve clubs said they won't buy any club merchandise. I don't know if there's a window on that. Uh, uh that'll too. wear off. That'll and wear and, off. and then and then the other interesting thing was you know, to offset that 23% said they won't attend matches. So the fact is, I think they're all going to go back to watching the games and they're just going to be a hell of a lot more angry than they were before. The season. But you
0: know, look, we talked about this last week, but it, you know, these leagues were hurting Russian money, American money, all came in and sort of bought these teams and saved them in many instances. And now they're, they're doing the American sort of hedge fund, uh, you know, squeeze money out of things instead of there's no passion there. Um, yeah. And I, and I hey, thought
1: so, that, that Rory Smith article, Sam, that you you sent around was really interesting. Cause it just, you know, the, I think one of the overarching statements was that the uh that the elite clubs have been, been kind of stripped of their leverage. Mm-hmm. Right. So the, the remaining clubs suddenly as a group just have more because the, the big guys failed so miserably at doing right. this. So,
0: yeah. All right. So um, Watford and Norwich have been promoted. They're going to be back in the Premier League after a year That's in the championship. Isn't I got to ask you guys about
1: that. It's it's such an oddity to me is the team. And this happens occasionally is clubs get relegated. And then one year later, they go right back up. And so what's that a statement about? Is it a statement about the fact they clearly weren't good enough to stay in the Premier League?
0: right? I got a theory. But They're really
1: good. They're really good in the championship. So there must just be a massive difference between those two leagues. Sam, you want to hit that first
0: or?
2: Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, these teams get very well taken care of when they get sent down, right? They get these yeah. little like parachute packages that, uh, you know, make help them, them. Yeah. So they, they have financial clout in the first division when they go down, but, um, I, I don't know. I know nothing about the championship and what the level is. But like, like Norwich was really, it was like really bad when they
1: went down. Like it was mm-hmm. like, it wasn't like, as if it was. When
0: they were in the premier league.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it yeah. was, it was, it was like yeah. categorical that they went down. It wasn't like, Oh, by the skin of their teeth. And then they bounce back and they just have this amazing championship season. And they're coming well, back up. I mean, here's
0: my theory. They have, they have the money from being in the prem for that yeah. year. They have the parachute when they go back down the core of their players have been playing at the premier league level the entire yeah. time. So when they go down a level as a team, they might lose a couple of guys that, you know, aren't on contract if they're in the premier league, but as a team, when they, they go down and play in the championship and you know, they're together they've They've got their shit together more than some of the other teams there and they have more money. So, so that's my theory right. boys and that's right. uh i'm sticking to it hey so mls has started out it's great to see uh here i am living in la i haven't been to a game yet but the chicharito a guy who uh, was a killer a u.s killer uh when we watched him play for mexico but uh always had a knack for the net except last year in mls this year he's off to an amazing start five goals in his first two la galaxy matches including a hat trick against the red bulls so uh it's kind of good news. I think it's good for MLS. It's good for the franchise. It's good for soccer. Agree.
1: Yeah, and Grant, you know, Grant knows a lot about Chicharito, and we talked pretty extensively with him about it. But it's a great start for him, and obviously, huge confidence builder for Chicharito moving forward.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, Chicharito. Uh, it was in featured in Grant Wall's book. Uh, a whole chapter about how he scores goals, how he anticipates goals. So, uh, so why don't we get to Grant and uh, bringing him on. All right, so you're listening to Over the Ball, everybody. Uh, uh, stick around. Got Grant Wall coming up next. Over the Ball is brought to you by Soccer America. Go to SoccerAmerica.com slash join and sign up for the Soccer America Pro Membership. It's just $4.90 a month or $49 a year. And by Ticket IQ, the simplest and cheapest way to buy tickets. Go to ticketiq.com and when it asks for the promo code, punch in OTB10 for $10 off of your purchase. Can't lose. All right, joining us now and over the ball is the man behind the football with Grant Wall podcast. Uh, Grant's guest this week is John Champion, who we've had on the show here. He's a, uh, he's a great interview and uh, I listened to it, Grant. Good stuff. So, um, we always enjoy talking to you. You go way back in the soccer world with your soccer, uh, I mean, Sports Illustrated and, and your Fox days. So uh, welcome to the podcast world. It's uh, it's doing really well. It's a great one. And plus, by the way, Grant, I'm always, whenever I introduce you, I'm always worried I'm going to say over the wall with Grant Ball. So... Um, <laughs> So, because they work both it's, ways. So.
3: It's funny because I finally interviewed Grant Hill, the former basketball player, a few years ago, and told him, uh, shared with him how often I used to get called Grant Hill, which I, I think he humored me about.
0: <laughs> well, I would say Grant Wall that I have never confused you with.
3: Thank you. With
0: with, with, him. Not with my dunking uh, ability. <laughs> Grant Hill. I remember his father was Calvin Hill. played the, He went to Yale for the Redskins. Another one of on my safety schools. Uh, yeah. you no, know, no, the Cowboys, Grant. Oh, and I then, thought he played for the Redskins at the end of I his career. The original, oh, the end of his career, he did. Yeah. Um, here on yeah. over the ball, we like to talk about, you know, the the, the beginning of careers. Yeah, I mean, not the end of career. If, <laughs> not, I guess if not, you're on over the ball, Unlike like so we what? are. Hey, so Grant, Grant, a lot of good news. Um, you know, a lot of Americans making some impact. We always talk about the players, you know, Polisic and, and McKenny and all that, but uh, Jesse Marsh, man, is just. Marching along there, hasn't he? How big is this signing? We kind of feeling over the ball that it should have been made more of than uh, than it is.
3: It's a real, it's a giant moment in the history of American soccer's growth. I think for coaches, American coaches to to now be coaching a team in, in Jesse Marsh's case with Leipzig, a team that was a Champions League semifinalist last year, a team that's going to finish second in the Bundesliga this year, uh, likely. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, like it was a big moment. when Bob Bradley got hired by Swansea in the premier league. And unfortunately he lasted 11 games and,
0: and yeah, yeah but that it, one, that one just pisses me off because, you know, I think Jesse has a connection to Bob as well through Princeton yeah. and, and a lot of, you know, Bob and Bruce arena really have developed a lot of these younger guys. And it just seemed like Bob Bradley could just got in the absolute worst situation possible.
3: I mean, he like Jesse Marsh is in a different situation because he's working for people who who he believes in and who believe in him. Right. And so that's a big aspect of all of this is you have to find a situation where you are your boss, your owner respects you and and will give you the chance to succeed. And Jesse Marsh got that at Red Bull New York. And that's how he got connected to the Red Bull soccer empire and got to know the people running that organization who believed in him, gave him the opportunity to succeed and didn't care that he was American. And, and so that's why he's been given, not given, he's earned this pathway all the way to Leipzig. And I was actually surprised that it wasn't an even more obvious decision for Leipzig to to hire Marsh the second that Nagelsmann was out. It sounded like there was a little touch and go there, but eventually he gets the job, and now it's going to be a huge challenge to replace Nagelsmann, but it's also a challenge that I know Jesse Marsh is going to embrace completely.
0: It's almost one of those things where, you know, when you're filling like, you know, an executive vice president job or something, they, they kind of know who the candidate is. They have to go through the, the rigmarole of interviewing other people. But it kind of was smacked of inevitability. We've had Jesse on the show a couple of times and uh, he's really impressive. I like the way he played. Uh, he's a bit of an intellect, um, you know, uh, and he's also kind of, one of the, a hard ass in a lot of ways, but all business, man, when he went into Red Bulls and, uh, you know, watched them play, I liked the way his teams play. Uh, You know, you knew this kid had a future and he was committed. He really was. I love that whole clip about him speaking like kind of half German gibberish at halftime. That was, Mm -hmm. that was really great as well. Yeah.
3: um, Yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm sorry, Grant. I was just going to say, just
1: uh, picking up on what Flynn, said, his style and kind of intellect and stuff would seem to be a, just a good fit for Germany because that's kind of the that's kind of the way I look at how they approach the game.
3: Yes, um I think Jesse's a good fit for for Germany. Um I visited him and Tyler Adams when both of them were at Leipzig uh in early 2019. So Mars spent one season as an assistant uh at Leipzig and obviously he signed uh Tyler Adams when he was when Adams was 15 years old and so we did an actual video traveling around Germany and part of that video that half hour video for SI just is with Marsh and and Adams at Leipzig and it gives you a real sense of how they interact with each other and thankfully that just was made available for free on Sports Illustrated's YouTube site this week um so I'd encourage people to check that out definitely um You know, I went to school with Jesse, like I I graduated the same year he did from Princeton, I covered his teams for the school paper that were coached by Bob Bradley, I spent literally three days in the, the health center at Princeton once in a room with Jesse Marsh, where we got even closer and we joke about it now, like I had like serious food poisoning, (laughs) which was bad.
0: Um, We know that's, we know that's uh, code for hemorrhoids.
3: (laughs) (laughs) So like, it's crazy to me just from whether it's Jesse or, or covering Bob Bradley as a freshman in college, like, how those early relationships I'm still talking to those guys still covering those guys. And, but none of us probably would have expected we'd be where we are now, but, Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's kind of a neat story and Bob Bradley's coaching tree is a neat story. And I think Jesse over the years, when I've talked to him would say that Bob has had a tremendous amount of influence on Jesse, but, Jesse's developed a bit more of his own identity and gotten more comfortable with that, keeping in mind all the influences he's had from Bradley and others over Mm -hmm. the last few years. So like I think like Ralph Rangnick, who was the head coach at Leipzig when Jesse was an assistant, has had a, a really big impact on Jesse as well.
0: I think you have a question, Sam?
2: Yeah, Grant, just to build off that, I'm wondering if I sort of get the sense that because Jesse's moving up in the hierarchy of the Red Bull at large, you know, that maybe people don't see this as that big of a deal. Do you get the sense that maybe the next move he makes when he leaves Red Bull altogether, if that happens, will be the one that people kind of really examine and go, wow.
3: Potentially. I I mean, I look at it as, you know, Leipzig only became a club like in 2008 or nine or something like that. So like, this club has advanced from lower divisions up through the German pyramid to qualify for Champions League to make the semifinals. This has all happened in, in just a little more than a decade, and so I—I I mean, I think Jesse Marsh at Leipzig can do some remarkable things. The left, like the the ammo is there to do it. Now, he's going to have some challenges because we already know that this Leipzig team is losing two great defenders, Upa Mikano and Konate. Upa Meccano uh, to Bayern, Konate to Liverpool. And that's going to be a challenge. But they have other guys coming in. This is the philosophy of how the whole Red Bull system works, including Leipzig or Salzburg. So Jesse's used to that. But... The- yeah, you know, so so it's going to be tough to keep this Leipzig team in the same position that it has been with those players under Nagelsmann. That's a huge challenge in and of itself. But mm. I still think that at Leipzig, Jesse Marsh could win Champions League. I mm. think at ah. Leipzig, Jesse Marsh can win the Bundesliga. Mm. It's not going to probably happen the first season, and you hope that – there that the challenges don't create too much of a drop-off because that will be difficult if that happens. But I like Leipzig, Leipzig can be a European powerhouse. I, I do believe that. And, and that said, it's also a place a little like Dortmund where it could also still be a launch pad. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a reason why they're selling guys to Liverpool and Bayern and their coach is basically being sold to Bayern. So I, I, I Maybe this will be a setup for a next big thing. Maybe Leipzig is the place that Mar- that Marsh can do it. I, I kind of feel the same way about Tyler Adams.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think it's uh, also interesting to look at uh, Germany giving him a, a shot. I mean, he's certainly done the most of it with it. But, um, you know, Germany was the first place for American players to find a home originally. They were going to take a shot at it. So it's sort of – I think it talks a little bit about – the German set up, but also about the English mentality and how they kind of still look at American players and people It's just, we, we don't know the game, apparently. So,
3: well, I mean, I, I just look at it as Germany gives younger players a shot, whatever the nationality and why young English players like Jaden Sancho and Jude Bellingham have gone to Germany to get an opportunity to play as opposed to doing so in England. Um, and I think in Germany they care less about your nationality than they do in England. Um, right. but that said, I mean, like if if Marsh does great work in at Leipzig, there will be top Premier League clubs that will want him at some point. It sounds like Tottenham had serious mm-hmm. interests right now. And yeah. and I, I would love to hear I don't I haven't talked to Jesse this week. I would love to know. That, he was actually offered the Spurs job as kicker reported, um, because to me that's, that's kind of a tough job to turn down yeah. even if you're losing. Uh, air really, to yeah
0: yeah, so uh, all right, so speaking of these uh, top teams uh, you know in the world, the super league craziness that happened last week still really hasn't died down, but uh, what, are, what are your thoughts on it we didn't We didn't hear those yet
3: I'm just so stunned by the incompetence of the rollout. For something so important which supposedly these owners in 12 Super League clubs have been planning for years and so to me it's just a remarkable level of arrogance mm-hmm. to think yeah. that they didn't need to get all of their ducks in a row and get all of the stakeholders behind it um, and, and really show and make the case for why this should happen in a way that was more than just, we need money. And they didn't even have those owners making that case, except for the Real Madrid president, who was a total buffoon, and only reinforced how arrogant they were about the approach to the whole thing. And that, to me, is just the most stunning aspect of it. I'm not surprised that they tried to do it. I'm surprised that it was so inept and incompetent.
0: Yeah, I think they thought they had safety in numbers. I think they thought they would just power play this thing through if you have enough teams that are signed on. But it seems like they signed on in pencil because, man, that thing got erased quick. They were like, huh, what? No, no, I I'm meant Superman, the movie. Yeah, yeah, it's nothing. So, Grail? Well, yeah,
1: Grant, I mean, so it's been in the ether for years, right, this whole concept. And then the uh, the the big six clubs tried the Project Big Picture last October in the uk which to me was almost like a dry run which did not go well so you would have felt like they would have learned to your point they would have learned. i'm just wondering do you think they announced it no coincidence they announced it this sunday night before champions league were going to announce their new format and do you think Mm -hmm. their ineptitude was in a large part driven by the timing aspect of They were just so hell bent on getting ahead of Champions League that they didn't cross the T's and dot the I's because you're right. The communication on this was atrocious.
3: Yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, that was the question I had, why this timing? Mm -hmm. And I guess it was because it was right before they were supposed to announce UEFA was going to announce the new Champions League format that all of these clubs had agreed to the previous Friday night. Mm-hmm. Um, nice. And that's how duplicitous this whole thing is. If you like read that New York times story by mm-hmm. Tarek Panja and Rory Smith about the back and forth on the inside between Seferin, the UEFA president and his ex friend, Anyeli, the mm-hmm. Juventus president. It's crazy about the betrayal on a on a large scale human basis that took place here and suffers the freaking godfather of Agnelli's two year old kid and calls ends up calling him a snake and a liar publicly and says we have no relationship anymore like that's what kind of nonsense was happening here mm-hmm.
0: you know so yeah, it's it, crazy it, it, They say you want to know what someone's like, divorce them, um, and you you figure it out pretty quickly. I think with a lot of these relationships, everybody's friends until that amount of money is starting to be kicked around, and suddenly everybody just gets the number signs in their eyes. Uh, Who came off looking the worst in that whole thing? I mean, Woodward left is leaving Man U, and um, I think, what was it, the Spanish or the Italian guys hung in there for for a while. Um, It's
3: a weird one because there are no good guys here.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like they're like Bond (laughs) supervillains.
3: You know, like, so, you know, if people are painting PSG and their Qatari owners Mm -hmm. to be a hero, they're not because, you know, forget the fact that they didn't sign on to the Super League. Um, UEFA and FIFA are not heroes. Um, You know, like, I think somebody I saw made a good point. Like, Seferin probably should be seen in this case as like mob boss survives fellow mob hit, <laughs> you know? And I think that's probably a pretty accurate way of looking at it. Like, I mean, Seferin held UEFA and the current system together. So I think he did his job pretty well in this case, but I don't want to say that like he's some savior of the game. Cause he's not. Mm-hmm. Um, but and like who comes off the worst? I mean, it's interesting for me because a lot of this is relative to expectations, right? So if you take the American Premier League owners that were involved here, I would have expected the Glazers from Man United and the Cronkies from Arsenal would be all for the Super League and that they would right. go full speed ahead because that's, that's what they do. Their own fans hate them. Um, I am slightly more disappointed, actually, with John W. Henry and the Fenway folks that own Liverpool because they seemed to have a better sense of what the fans wanted, and they've been slapped down a few times over the years when they've made missteps and say that they learned from them.
0: Mm-hmm. Right.
3: You know, like trying to trademark Liverpool, the name, and... The whole you know, city. Also, All all sorts of things. And, and so like, you know, Henry is the only one of those three owners to come out publicly with a video apologizing afterwards. So I think he grasped at least a bit about what he had done and was owning up to it a little bit, but he still did it. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and so well, the
0: reaction was so swift too. But here, here's a, something I was thinking about, though, Grant. I'd love to get your thoughts on this. It seems like Manchester United and Man City and Liverpool have the most to lose because the Premier League is the money league right now. There's the most parity in the league right now. Why they would give that up to go to play with, you know, PSG or you know, who weren't in it, but probably would have gotten in it, or and Real Madrid and Barcelona, like those teams, the league is not as good. I don't think it's Sam might argue that with Syria, but I, th- I think uh, I'm surprised that yeah. they did it with uh, the English clubs. I'm surprised they they put their necks out there, especially with the way the English react too.
3: I think there's a couple of things probably that might've motivated them because there's a big six. It's harder to qualify for the top four mm-hmm. in England. Right. And so if you never can get relegated from the super league, if you're a founding team, you have that certainty of revenue every season that you don't have if you don't finish top four. So that, that to me was a pretty big aspect of this. And then there's another side of this that we didn't learn too much in the way of details about. But in their official press release announcing the Super League, they said that there would be something of a salary cap that everyone had agreed to for the teams in the super league, which I understand meant that you would be able to spend a percentage of your annual revenue on players. So that's not exactly a salary cap because like teams have different levels of revenue, right? Right. But it at least is a way to manage spending. And if everyone agrees to that, then especially for these American owners in the Premier League, that's a way to curtail the nation-state ownership of Man City, potentially PSG if they had joined, which sort of has unlimited spending.
2: Mm-hmm. Right.
3: So I, I think that's an aspect of this that didn't didn't get enough attention was the Super League owners actually wanted to put in a salary cap or something equivalent to it.
0: Grant, Grant, they wanted to, before. you know, they wanted to put in a salary cap and increase their their revenues. It's, it's, yes. you know, and it's interesting. And I don't know how long would it have been, how many years before uh, they would start moving teams. Liverpool suddenly goes to, uh, you know, Swansea or whatever. However, you know, because the NFL more
3: more likely New York or like, right, right,
0: right, I mean, Boston. I mean, we, we had
3: this this conversation about like. New York Cosmos, welcome to the Super League. Mm -hmm. Um, They just signed Killian Mbappe. You know, (laughs) (laughs) that's literally what this could have moved toward. Another thing that didn't get a lot of discussion about what could have happened if the Super League had gone forward is if you had made domestic leagues like the Premier League, the top four not matter anymore because, you know, a certain number were already going to make Super League. Then you are probably at some point going to have American style end of season playoffs established in the domestic leagues, like the Premier League, to determine a champion because otherwise, what's anyone playing for? Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, Yeah, building off this grant uh, and something you mentioned earlier about people in England, you know, caring a lot about your nationality. How much do you think this, you know, backlash that we saw had to do with the fact that it was a coalition of American owners kind of trying to impose a quote unquote American system on the European game?
3: I think there's definitely an anti-American aspect to this. Um, that said, if there had been no American owners involved, there would have been a really negative response, I think, still. Mm. But, yeah. but like, look, these were four teams of the 12 owned by Americans. J.P. Morgan, which was the bank funding this, American. And essentially, these are, quote, American business sports business concepts Mm -hmm. right and so that's I like it's not surprising then that you would see a lot of anti-american response um though clearly there were a lot of actors involved in this including Florentino Perez and Andre Agnelli like all of those guys who are not American
2: Right, and I know right. you've you've talked to a couple of American owners on your show. Do you, do you get the sense this will, I don't know, slow down the interest of Americans to invest in the European game?
3: I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's it's something that we're we're seeing a, a, a fair amount of um, mm-hmm. still. Um, I, I I don't think so. But like, when it comes to to ownership of, of European soccer teams, um, it, it, you know, there's the most expensive end, there's the lower end. You know, I had Kyle Krause from Iowa who just bought Parma, which might get relegated uh, in Italy on and like talked to him about why he, why he bought Parma, why, you know, he owns a, a minor league U.S. team in Des Moines, uh, you know, what went into his mind about whether he wanted to buy an MLS expansion team versus Parma, all that stuff. Um, so I don't think that type of interest is going to slow down here. I mean, we, we've seen this week the Spotify billionaire say that he wants to buy Arsenal, but he can have all the money in the world. And if <laughs> Stan Kroenke doesn't want to sell Arsenal, he won't.
0: There's no need for Crunky he has got more money than the world, it seems. So was that a reaction to the Super League announcement, them deciding to buy Arsenal?
3: I mean, I think so.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, it seemed like an emotional response, like he had the money and was going to give it a shot. Yeah.
3: And, and like at a certain point, you're kind of like, dude, like you don't need to tweet this. Just you know, find <laughs> out behind the scenes if yeah, you didn't just accept your offer. And otherwise, you're just posturing for Twitter likes here.
0: Mm-hmm. Man, Kroenke's been sort of a badass, hasn't he, man? He just, with his, his his deals, man. Just to take no prisoners.
3: Yeah, I mean, it, it's but interesting. He's from Missouri
0: I mean. and he moved, he moved the, you know, the Rams. Yeah,
3: no, it's true. But I mean, like, and this is weird, right? Because Kroenke's team has been in the Super Bowl in recent years. The Glazers team won the Super Bowl this year. Um, Their teams, Arsenal and Man United, their fans hate the glazers and Cronkies, in large part because they hadn't really won many trophies right. under them um and and, and so you do kind of like wonder like you know for the glazers and Cronkies, like why, why do you want to continue with this i mean like it's purely a, an investment but i mean that, that's, that's no passion not cool. No.
0: Passion, you know, the passion that used to be there with the owners now it's it's all a bottom line, sort of a hedge fund play, which is I think what maddens the whole uh, fan base as it is because the ticket prices don't go down, you know, they they stay up and the people take tax write offs and everything else. And if you're not behind the team, uh, you know that old Newcastle owner that everybody hated at least he'd go to the games and sit there and and you know take the right. shtick from people, you know. So um, we watched Champions League yesterday. What are your thoughts? Politics playing well um he got subbed out I mean they, they talked about him as a maybe a per- potential hazard you know for the future but uh he's getting fouled as much as a, a hazard you know
3: I mean like I, I just would say what maybe the the biggest champion champions league goal by an American in, in the men's champions league ever um yeah. you know just last year Tyler Adams scored to put Leipzig into the semifinals in champions league here's Christian Pulisic scoring at Real Madrid in a Champions League semi final. And we just spent all this time talking about Americans in the super league. I'd rather focus hopefully at some point like, you know, about Americans impacting things in a positive way, like Pulisic and right. Jesse Marsh this week and and because that's happening as well, and and to get an away goal against Real Madrid and and be one one, Chelsea's advantage. Chelsea, right? I mean, heading back yeah. into the return leg, um, I'm just I'm impressed with Pulisic. I think he still needs to establish himself next season as somebody you can count on every week as a starter and a guy who produces goals and assists. That add up over the course of a season. So he hasn't right. done that yet. That's a big thing he still needs to do. That said, for him to come back from what appeared to be, I wouldn't know. I don't know if I'd say Tuchel's doghouse, but it, he wasn't a starter for Tuchel at all for the first ten to twelve games of, of Tuchel's tenure at Chelsea. And just like,
0: just like with Lampard, uh, Lampard, um, you know, it was the same he thing. He had Pol- to play his way in and then, then establish himself. It. Yeah, Pulisic earned twice. it,
3: and now he's getting. He's starting big games in the Premier League, like last weekend against West Ham. Another big win for Chelsea to get them back into Champions League next year. He's put them in a position now to advance to the Champions League final. He's he's showing why he earned the number ten shirt, but he needs to keep doing it.
0: Mm-hmm. Right, and I always piss Simone about this, but watching the CBS coverage, not a single American on that again, and it's <laughs> funny. Uh, the accents and everything. And, you know, it just is annoying. It's amazing that they get away with it. I, I don't understand.
3: <sighs> yeah. I mean, um, yeah, I'm friends with half the people on that CBS. Oh, no, no. oh yeah. So, that's not like, the point. But like, yeah. But like, um, I think overall CBS is, is, is doing a pretty good job. I, I, mm-hmm. I just feel like, and I actually love the amount of time that they have for pregame and postgame. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Which has never given its due generally a lot in, in here in the States, right. you know, it's always starts um, to kick off and all that.
3: But I, w- I would say that uh, just as American players are making their mark in the Champions League now and coaches that there's American media out there, too, especially when it's an American audience who can do that and do it well.
0: Yeah, and Landon did a good job. I think you had a Bruce Arenas in there. He's got a job, but I, I think someone uh put someone at Grant Wall uh from uh over the ball with Grant Wall. That's
1: what we wanted.
0: Um, yeah. So uh yeah, so but it was I think the coverage is good. It's great to see it. Uh you do have to buy the um the package, the Paramount package there to get that, um, which is uh another streaming service you have to pick up. Um but it, it's been good. So MLS is starting off, and I know um you wrote a book, and in one of your chapters, you talk about Chicharito, who is really kind of come, coming out uh, guns a-blazing this, this year. What do you think of the MLS and Chicharito?
3: It's a really impressive first two games. It's only two games, but right. in those two games, Chicharito has five goals. He had two all of last season. Um, wow. He, you know, the Galaxies won their first two games. They're the only MLS team that can say that out of the 27. Salt Lake has a shot to join them this weekend. Um, and he clearly looks fit in a way that he wasn't last year. And that fitness and, and maybe the confidence that comes with it has sh- has allowed Chicharito to score goals that we're used to seeing as sort of classic Chicharito style goals, which is what I get into in that book chapter, which he talks about smelling the intuition in his, I think, kind of like literal translation from Spanish, um, and knowing where to go in the box, where to anticipate, where to be to to poach a goal or score a goal or just find ways to get the ball in the back of the net. And it's nice to see that that chicharito still exists because I think there were serious questions about whether it did. He did.
0: The desire is there, but I think this shows that there was something there. Last year watching him play, it seemed like there was no desire. He seemed out of sorts. I didn't know if there was personal problems going on or what, um, but it seems like he's been talking to a sports psychologist. I also thought perhaps sometimes when you think you're going down a level, from the Bundesliga or Premier League, you're playing in MLS. You think like, ah, man, I'm going to start to deal on people, and that's just not the case. It's it's fast, it's physical, the travels difficult. It's uh, yeah. it's not an easy go. That's why, like a, you know Ibrahimovic, it's he comes here, and I take great pride as an American that he leaves MLS where he did some some real you know good goal scoring, some damage to other teams, goes back over to Syria, ah, and he's he's scoring over there as well, which I think says a lot about our league here in MLS.
1: I mean, there there are actually some parallels between Chicharito at his best and Polisic at his best, because when Polisic's at his best, he's scoring from in close. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you've noticed that a lot of the goals that he's gotten recently, he's kind of crashing the goal, and yeah. uh, and that's oh. and that's the same as Chicharito. When Chicharito's at scoring and playing at his best, he's like scoring from the six yard box in.
3: Yeah, yeah, I, it's it's something that um. I guess makes you wonder about sort of, you know, goal scoring is the hardest thing to do in the game and you have an appreciation for the players who can do it, obviously, and they cost the most of any players in the game, but poise in the box is so rare. Mm-hmm, and yeah. and so when you find someone that has it who can appear to slow things down or in Chicharito's case, or in Pulisic's case, get to a where the ball is going to be and know where to go a split second faster than the defender. That's so fun to watch as a fan, mm-hmm. you know, you really appreciate that when you see it like in, in real time and then on the replays and, and, you know, so for both those guys to be doing that, it's uh, it's fun. <laughs>
0: Yeah. That uh, anticipation. I was not that guy. Let's put it that way. (laughs) I mean, you know, like you, you, what you learn here in the States domestically, especially in the eighties was, I see it now, how important the timing of a run is and certain guys, you know, Chicharito talking about, I forget what the Spanish one was, but the the intuition to move towards a ball, come late, come hard, all that stuff. Um, So it's been nice. So speaking of my career, Rather briefly, UMass is in the NCAA championship, but not the championship, but the, the, I think they're down to what, 16, um, Sam? Do we even know? 16, yeah, that's all. So they paid Penn State this week. Um, We also, uh, a friend of the show, Mike Noon is a head coach at Clemson, a guy who I cannot believe has not been pulled out to an MLS uh, coaching position, but um, talk a little bit about the NCAA. I mean, there you were with Princeton. That was really your first taste of uh, soccer. I, I guess you knew it as a kid as well, but I mean, the, that is an untapped resource, I think. And we've had Sasha on before and Mike Noonan and, and a bunch of the guys talking about it, but I feel like we could really mine that for a lot more if the NCAA would play along.
3: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because I had Daryl DK on my podcast just a couple of weeks ago. And here's a guy who played a couple of seasons at Virginia and, you know, gets drafted by Orlando and MLS and then goes on loan to Barnsley. And he's just lighting up the championship ever since he got there. And now he's probably going to get sold to somebody for 10 to 15 million dollars, maybe more. Nice. Um, so college soccer still produces truly quality professional players where I, th- I, I I, get a little frustrated over time and because and, and, I don't want to say this to be taken with any disrespect by NCAA soccer fans, but I don't pay much attention. I, 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 if I'm going to be honest here at this point in time to covering the NCAA soccer tournaments, men's or women's, I mean, I'll certainly – keep an eye on the the final four for both and probably watch the the final of both games. But like the history of this is all fairly interesting to me because when I started at Sports Illustrated in 1996, we were still in the main magazine sending a writer to cover the NCA final four every year. And so the first story, some of the first bylines I ever got in Sports Illustrated were going to Richmond, Virginia and covering the ncaa men's soccer final four or to greensboro and covering the ncaa women's soccer final four and i remember as a fact checker at si they had all these bound volumes from over the decades and so i could go back and look at the eight page story on the 1972 ncaa final four and that was Mm. viewed as a big deal even in sports illustrated which had famously barred the door on soccer coverage so that was really interesting to me that we did more ncaa final four stuff in the magazine than mls coverage in the mid to late 90s and then that changed probably right around 98 world cup on where our soccer coverage became about professional soccer and the NCA Final Four no longer became a story, that story in the magazine every year.
0: Yeah, it's too bad because I remember going to some of the games in Davidson, some of the Final Fours, and they were packed affairs, kind of sold out. You couldn't get any seats in the stands. And it seemed like it was something that was going to build. And the last few I've gone to, they're just anticlimactic. There's, there's just a barely anyone in the stands. There aren't even kids there to watch these college kids playing it's uh it's absurd so hey but let's uh, let's end on a positive note here uh grant with you um we talked about your friday do podcast "The american prodigy which we all love talked about it quite quite a bit and um it's uh, been nominated for a webby award so congratulations on that
3: thank you your mother, uh, your,
0: mother your mother must be very proud of you
3: <laughs> <laughs> I, I wasn't expecting that um
0: No, that was a really good podcast. If you haven't listened to this, everybody, check it out. American Prodigy. It's about Freddie Adu, which Freddie Adu is one of those guys, like Pele, people say, people who aren't even involved in soccer know who that person is. And it's funny because this past week, people like my girlfriend who doesn't follow any soccer at all, she's like, what's this superhero league I'm like, well, that sounds like a new Marvel movie, but I think you're talking about the Super League. Um, but this is a fascinating character, and you really dig deep um, to follow him. And it's uh, you're happy and sad, and all kinds of emotions come come from it. So good luck with that. It must have been great putting it together.
3: It was. Um, and, and the Webby Award was neat because it wasn't in the sports category. It was in the documentary category with other non-sports topics. Nice, um, nice. Including an awesome podcast, uh, Wind of Change. I don't know if you ever, mm. uh, listened to, uh, by Patrick Raddenkeefe on whether, uh, asking the question of whether the, the Scorpion song Wind of Change was act- actually <laughs> written by the CIA to help, uh, the fall of the Soviet Union. Really wow. fascinating podcast. It's awesome yeah. to listen to. So just to be in that kind of company was neat, but, um, you know, with, the The Freddie thing like i I started working on it last May after I'd been let go uh from Sports Illustrated by maven and um so I was really motivated to 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 do something really memorable and and do something that um maybe I wouldn't have had as much time to do during my time at Sports Illustrated because I was being asked to do so many other things. I didn't have the time to invest in one giant project like this. So I decided to try and use the situation as an advantage and interviewed more than two dozen people, got turned down by Freddie for an interview at first and then earned his desire to finally do an interview and a series of interviews just because he had talked to so many people who had been interviewed by that point, um, right. so and, and who knew
0: you? In all fairness, to the, your what thirty some odd years of covering this game, where right? People know you and they trust you. So it's like a lot of times I know in my career you're you're sort of leery of talking to people about soccer because they're they're always so willing to go at you, um, but uh, so. Congratulations on that. We hope you win that. And, uh, but by the way, you know other podcasts, we listen to two podcasts here. We listen to our own selves on Over the Ball, and then we listen to football with Grant Wall. That's how we get all our soccer news. Uh, so, Grant Wall, uh, congratulations on that. And uh, thanks for joining us on Over the Ball. Come back and uh, talk to us again, my friend.
3: My pleasure, guys. Take care.
0: Hey, remember to tweet us at Over the Ball, like us on Facebook and Instagram, and write a review. In fact, make us one of your favorites. It makes a big difference. I always get uh, always great getting caught up with with Grant. I think um, he's such a serious journalist. I think sometimes my comments he doesn't know what to do with them. But uh, boy, he always gives us some information that we can certainly use. Well, we don't we don't know what to do with half of your comments either. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Neither is my girlfriend. My God, so uh, so yeah. Anyways, good to talk to him. Um, And uh, yeah, we wish him luck on the Webby there. Um, Yeah, I I was waiting to to hear his take on
1: Super League, which was
0: terrific. Which he was right on. Yeah. So, yeah. Hey, so there's a um, social media blackout in the Premier League this weekend. Sam, talk about that a little bit.
2: Yeah. Um, so just reading from a New York Times article, English soccer will conduct a social media blackout uh, this weekend to protest the ongoing and sustained discriminatory abuse received online by players and many others connected to football. Uh, so the EPL is signed on. I think the FA is signed on. Uh, in addition to you know lower tiers, other leagues. I think the cricket league is doing it. Maybe the rugby league. So it's a pretty big statement about um, you know online abuse, which I I think is is really cool, and I'm I'm definitely all for. Um, my one point in this is you know the clubs have already gotten together and the league itself to write these social media companies and sort of demand that they you know better police this abuse um, and you know, the, the, the phrase that they use was saying that the platforms have essentially become havens for abuse. Um, and I'm just going to say, I think that's a little hypocritical considering what the environment is like. If you go to a game in England or anywhere in Europe, really. Um, I mean, even if we remove racism from the equation entirely, I mean, the amount of abuse that gets hurled inside a stadium, uh, is pretty shocking. So, uh, I, I had take a little bit of, you know, I don't know what the right word is. I think it's a little bit hypocritical. Umbridge. Umbridge, umbridge is good. I'm all for the boycott. Yeah. But, you know,
1: I'm I'm happy
2: that they just came in together and did something and what it
1: leads to, who knows, but it it's better than doing nothing.
2: Yeah
0: right all right so uh we have a quiz this week sam
2: yeah so i was looking into you know we're talking about the super league global fans etc what do they really want what games do they want to see so i looked into the american sports tv ratings for this past week because we do have to remember we are global fans when it comes to the european game uh so this is all from the website showbuzz daily which tallies you know viewership of television programs um so i thought we could do a little bit of an over under and you guys can guess which uh, yeah. of these oh. events got more viewers so let's okay. start with did more people watch west ham chelsea on nbc this past saturday at twelve thirty p.m or the boston pittsburgh nhl game also on nbc sunday at 3 p.m
0: the soccer
2: yeah. game i'm going to say west ham chelsea Okay, it's actually Boston-Pittsburgh, which got just over a million uh, viewers. West Ham-Chelsea had 866,000. Okay. okay. Moving on. Did more
1: people watch? That's a good
0: matchup, though. That's a good matchup in hockey world, though, right? Yeah, those are two pretty good. Yeah, and Sunday at
2: 3 is not a bad time. Okay. Uh, okay, did more people watch the LAFC Sounders MLS game Saturday at 6 p.m. on ESPN, or the Texas Kentucky NCAA women's college volleyball tournament game on ESPN two at 8 p.m. that same night? Uh, See, I think that's a trick.
1: I think that's a trick question. So
0: I gotta go. I gotta go for the volleyball. I just think it's so. <laughs> I'm not going for the volleyball. I'm going for the soccer again. I'm gonna vote soccer. You got to be. I'll eat my hat if that outdrew
2: it. OK, well, it did. Uh, so oh there were six hundred ninety six thousand viewers for the volleyball and four hundred ninety eight thousand. for Well, the-
0: here's the other thing. There's Saturday
2: six is
1: not a good. That's not a good time slot. And yeah. a lot of people have have pointed that out with the contract is that if they were playing on Thursdays or Friday nights, they could be pulling much better ratings. Mm-hmm. Saturday at six is kind of a death slot, frankly.
3: And
0: All you right. have a lot of chances to watch uh, L.A. Uh, FC play yeah. all during the year. And you only have one chance to watch the women's volleyball NCAA championship. So Sam, I, I don't mind watching was, that Sam either. Sam
1: was being sneaky with that one, but I, I uh, was, on, I was on. To his
2: the Did more people watch man United Leeds on NBC sports at 9. A.M. Sunday morning or the PBA bowling quarterfinals on FS one, uh, the tournament that took place later that day at 1 p.m.
0: God, again, this again. This is a depressing I, quiz. I, I, I
1: hate to say this. I hate to go with the PBA. I hate to go with the PBA. Tournament. I'm going with my heart,
0: not my head. I'm going with soccer again. I'm going with PBA. <laughs> okay, this time the soccer wins. Ah, 400, boom.
2: 400, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful. 434000 for Man United leads, only 224000 for bowling. So that's okay. good to see at least. Uh, okay, I'm glad Morgan... that
1: bowling is not about to take over soccer.
2: Did more people watch Liverpool Leeds on NBCSN Monday at 2.55 p.m. or the Detroit-Dallas NHL game on NBC Sports later that day at 7 p.m.?
0: Wow. I go with the hockey game. Yeah, I'm going to go with the hockey.
2: Okay, that's actually the soccer too. So that was 250,000 for Liverpool Leeds compared to just 237. That was a great game too, by the way. Very small
1: for both, frankly. Yeah, Yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, okay, did more people watch Arsenal Everton on NBC Sports Friday at 2:55 p.m. or WWE Friday Night Smackdown later that night on Fox? At oh, 8 Friday Night Smackdown, Smackdown. no Smackdown. doubt. Smackdown, Smackdown baby. This is a Smackdown 2.1 million. <laughs> of course it is. First Smackdown versus 209,000 for Arsenal Everton. It's a Friday night too, so you got family viewing. I mean, you're around the table in your army
1: fatigues. Yeah, but the, <laughs> yeah the Arsenal great. game is at
0: 2:15, right? 255.
2: 255. Yeah, yeah. come on. So, uh, all right, Champions League this week, last two. So, Tuesday on TUDN, or TUDN, uh, I think is how you say it, uh, which is the only U.S. Channel, the only U.S. Champions League broadcast that made the list of the top 150 cable programs for the day. Did more people watch Real Madrid-Chelsea or the CONCACAF Champions League game at 10.30 p.m., also on TUDN between Toronto and Cruz Azul?
1: Oh, Well, I'm 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 gonna say I'm gonna say Real Madrid Chelsea. I'm just hoping that I'm Cruz Azul.
2: Azul. It's Madrid Chelsea. It's three hundred fourteen thousand versus two hundred twenty three thousand for the Concacaf It's game. Not that big a difference, though. No, I mean, this is a little inconclusive because yeah, the Concacaf no. game's also shown on FS One, and the Madrid Chelsea's also shown on CBS, but they don't make the top one fifty, yeah. so we don't have the full picture. But okay. Last question Wednesday again on TUDN. Did more people watch PSG Man City or the CONCACAF Champions League game at 10.30 p.m. between Portland Timbers and Club America?
1: I'm going to go with PSG
2: again. Okay, that's actually the CONCACAF by quite a large margin, 406,000. Versus two hundred thirty-six
0: thousand four ps That's the Hispanic community, the untapped so, yeah. Hispanic community yeah, in this surprising. country. It also think...
2: shows, like, P- you know, the PSG city is the ultimate Super League game, and yeah. it's not really getting that many viewers. No, interesting. I don't no. know,
0: uh, I don't know where the, it's these. Also, owners... It's also, it's also on a platform, right? I mean, you can only watch it on a platform. Yeah, but, true. You know, no, that's not, well.
1: TUDN is basic cable. I
2: mean, you don't have to subscribe to that. I just, I don't know where these owners are getting these numbers that say people only want to see these games, but anyway.
1: And and again, Flynnie, just so you know, so the the semis and the semis are actually on CBS Sports Network. So you don't
0: Mm -hmm. need to be Paramount Plus.
1: Oh, nice. Which is great. That's good. Yeah. That's good. So,
0: all right. So the game's going to watch, Sam, you and I'll be watching UMass play on Sunday at one o'clock against Penn State in the NCAAs. Right, Sam?
2: Um, Yeah.
0: Oh, God. See, Sam, just his experience so, at D1 is just so howering. So,
1: so, so Sunday, Man United, Liverpool. And the only reason I'll probably check in Man United's pretty much solidified second place. Um, Unbelievable. Liverpool is four points adrift for a fourth place. I, I I, don't think Liverpool is going to make it into the top four. Uh, so I'm going to watch
2: you- Sassuolo Atalanta at 9 a.m., uh, ESPN plus two of the, probably the most entertaining teams to watch in city. Yeah, so
0: nice. How can I get ESPN plus for one day? Is that possible? Yeah. Just get it a for seven a day
1: trial. Or, or uh, oh, is or, it, yeah. it a week? Okay. Yeah,
0: I think it's it's a week do. trial. You yeah. just
1: have to remember to cancel it
0: for otherwise they will, you will start paying yeah. for it. I can't remember to put my pants on half morning. <laughs> so, All right, boys. Uh, anything else before we go, I'm going to be watching that <laughs> man United Liverpool game as well. So um, I'm going to go Liverpool too. Man, Chester United won. Come
1: I'm going 2-1 the opposite.
0: Wow. United. okay. All right, guys. That. Good stuff, man. We covered a lot of ground. I'd like to thank our guest, Grant Wall of Football with Grant Wall. Um, and uh, congrats to him with his nomination for a Webby for American Prodigy. If you haven't listened to it, give it a check. Uh, all right, for Sam Griswold and Grail Hallett, I'm Kevin Flynn. We'll be talking to you next time on OTB.